Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Jersey Shore and from Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Andrew, happy vacation to you. Mm. How's it going? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm looking out the window right now. No clouds, mid-80s. It's glorious. What a trooper you are as well. There, there, I, I, this podcast never takes any time off. No. Uh, because the schedule demands it. But but you are. You never fail to show up. And I never will fail to show up. That could have been interpreted <laughs> the other way, I suppose. I will never show up. No, I've, I've done this podcast from weirder places than this. Yeah. Uh, under, so, under sheets. Yeah. Th- I, I mean, look, for me... In terms of like, not to talk about ourselves, but in terms of like the weird situations in which we've recorded this podcast, because there have been many, you from the back of a cab in yeah. Ukraine. Uh, and for me on my, uh, in Rhode Island, on my 10 year wedding anniversary trip <laughs> was probably the most precarious. Um, but this is, this is easy. And this is a joy right yeah. now. I'm I couldn't be happier right now. How are you? How was your first weekend back in the Premier League? It was good. Uh, I joined some friends on Saturday uh, at Legends, uh, the football factory downstairs. Um, I, I watched Liverpool uh, in a strange, strange surroundings for me. There was more Fulham fans there than there were Liverpool fans. Well, you are um, in the U.S. Yeah, you are in full America. Uh, and uh, and then I watched Leeds and Wolves afterwards. And, uh, the you know the chance of Yorkshiremen or exiled Yorkshiremen from the basement of a building in uh, right beneath uh, the Empire State Building, the chance of USA, USA had, uh, had an interesting ring to them. It was, uh, that was a, that was a fun game as well. And um, yeah, no, it was, it, it was a good weekend. Uh, I'm here drinking tea now hmm. and, uh, and I'm, I'm invigorated to talk about it because there seems like there's things now, things continue to happen in the transfer market. We'll try and pick up on some of the moving pieces as we go. But there is things to talk about from the weekend. And uh, and perhaps uh, the first game we go to, there may be uh, apologies to be made. Oh, my God. You are a monster. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, I should say a little bit later in this podcast, for MLS fans out there, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, I've got a couple of things as we hit the MLS All-Star break. Okay. Um, so there were a couple of things that I wanted to mention. But before that, we're going to go through. Obviously, this was week one back in the Premier League. So that's kind of going to be where our main focus is today. And a lot of interesting things happen. But we'll go right to what you're referencing as Brighton go into Old Trafford and they come out victorious 2-1. This was after they beat Manchester United 4-0 last year, did they not? They, they destroyed them uh, yeah. towards the end of the season, but they had never in, in their long and, and pretty storied history, they'd never gone to Old Trafford and won. And they did it on the opening day of the first game of the tenure of Eric Ten Hag. This yeah. was as, about as bad as it can get, I think. Uh, well, I don't know about that. It could have. It, it could be worse. I mean, if, it, if it, it happens scored... again and again, then uh, it would have been worse. Andrew. If they had lost 4-0... Like all last the, year, all, the pre, all the preseason momentum sucked out of this one. But you have to put this in context. Context, and I know the refrain is "This is Manchester United we're talking about." A, eh? understand all that. I, I understand that the size of the football club, um, Brighton and Hove Albion, as good as Graham Potter is, as good as they are, 
they completely sucked the wind out of the sails of of Manchester United's preseason in in one fell swoop, and 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 they're our first crisis club of the season. <laughs> oh, you're you laughing, but you got to you I, have to see the reaction, unbelievable reaction on. on so before we get to what you're referring to, I just want to talk about kind of like a little bit of the nuts and bolts from the game, right? Um, for and look for for all the bad things that we say that we're going to say about United from this one. I don't want to ignore the fact that Brighton did their job and they were very good. I'm just going to put that out there first and foremost, because that needs to be said, especially the way this game started. It's interesting, JJ, because um, I was reading an interview with Christian Erickson a couple of weeks ago, and he said that one of the pieces of advice that he gave when he got to United was that teams feel like they can get to them immediately, like right off, like the opening kick of the game. And, and Christian Erickson once did that for Tottenham. Uh, so he had a unique perspective on it. And sure enough, 14 seconds into the start of the new season, was it Pascal Gross who had a chance that went just wide of David De Gea? I mean, it, like it was right out of the gate. And it was just interesting to me that this thing that felt like it had been emphasized of starting strong right away, we were seeing the opposite and we were seeing kind of the old version of United. Now, so that could, worried me almost instantly. Now, you could say, generally speaking, United started quite brightly. Like the first, the, the, but but that ebbed away really really quickly, and once Brighton got into their pattern of passing and moving the ball, which is essentially what United couldn't do, United couldn't link the front players, uh, the the Ericsons and the Sancho's with the ball from the midfield or the defence, and and Brighton, like Brighton put together moves that United could only have dreamt of in that first half. They said you know, in around the 15 minutes on to the end of the, the, the first half. And it was the contrast between a team that has been so well drilled and, and has a, a very clear style of play. And the opposite in Manchester United was, was stark. And for all the nonsense I was talking about, how I felt good about the preseason 10 Hag had with the players, that kind of just evaporated really quickly. Well, I don't know that I would necessarily call it nonsense. You, I mean, you weren't, uh, it's it, okay to have felt good about it how was their wrong. Was it was going. wrong because it, it was reading too much into preseason and, and not really looking at the team and saying, all right, this is good performance in preseason, but the component parts to execute what Ten Hag wants to do are just not there. So again, we'll get to the Ten Hag part. The the goals that were scored by right. Brighton, I wanted to talk about them for a sec. Um, the first one, JJ, yeah. I mean, obviously a lot happened after this, but the ease with which the ball was taken off Scott McTominay in midfield was frightening. Um, That's as bad a midfield performance overall as I've seen from any player at the top level in a long time. And what made it even more worrisome was that the guy who took the ball off of McTominay, Moise Casado, uh, 20 year old and a player who reportedly was on United's radar but then they just kind of moved on. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, look, the MO on them in terms of signings over the past, I mean, probably post Ferguson, really, you could go back the, the entire length of that era. Um, like if it's, it has to be a flashy name. Like it just yeah. doesn't feel like they're going to sign guys that you haven't heard of. No, they're, they're not going to go to, you know, but they're not going to cast their their net that wide. They're not going to sign a player that a really, really, say, mid to average knowledge Premier League or European football watcher wouldn't know about. You know, right. there's there's no 
digging into the you know into the Belgian league there's no it's almost as if there's a you know you always had that one friend in 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 the yard at school and they had all the stories because they heard them from someone else you know any news they had any information was all secondhand from someone else and it feels as if United ran their recruiting in the post-Ferguson era based on well we've heard he's a big name let's go and get him you know yeah there doesn't seem to be any like well structure but the thing that worries me is that so I agree with you to a point the issue here with Casado is a he's the exact kind of player I mean look this is not a huge sample size although he was good last year as well but he's only 20 years old in this game he was fantastic um, he's the exact kind of player that it feels like United need just like this defensive midfielder who can just break up play and, and spring the attack yeah. the other way. Um, but the reason I only agree with you to a point is because I feel like what you're describing is that they're just ignoring sections of the world. That's not the case here. They scouted him and he was mm-hmm. on their radar. And I just wonder if it gets, you know, it goes, this goes through certain channels. I'd be interested to talk to somebody who has like a unique insight into United's recruitment because well, we could, threaten, guess... we, we could threaten to go to Richard Arnold's house and then he'll come and meet us for a pint and tell us everything. <laughs> That's a great point. But just, it feels like there are different like gatekeepers along the way. Like there, you have these guys who are deeply entrenched United. I'm sure look, it's Manchester United. Like they obviously have an, and you know, an in-depth scouting network, the, but, um, but, they, whoa, whoa, whoa. but they don't obviously have that. We know, but I think they do, but, but what, I think when it gets to a certain level, you have people who maybe aren't as in tune with it that say, no, we can't, whether it's like Casado, we can't sell that to our fans next. And then all that work on scouting this, a player who at the time was, I guess, 19 gone out the window because they need a flashier name. Which, just, that's how, that's what it feels to me that somewhere along the way, there's a break from those who are entrenched and those who are trying to sell a certain right. product. Now, rather than get bogged down in, in, in like speculating about whether they have rebuilt the scouting network, which we were told by the end of the Ferguson era had fallen into disrepair. Rather than talk about that, you can't get away from the fact, Andrew, that, and, and maybe this will parlay into a, a Ten Hag conversation. Mm-hmm. Who, who was the center forward who was giving them absolute conniptions, who was giving Harry Maguire, so much trouble, who was really had a fine game up front leading the line for Brighton and Hove Albion. This is a guy who was a Manchester United player in 2012 or 2013. This is not someone of, of, of that we would talk about in the highest regard. It was Danny Welbeck. So we can talk about signings. We can talk about you need this player in, that player in. And, and I do think that there are players at Manchester United who just cannot execute the, the levels of play that either Ralph Ranić wanted or, uh, for that matter, Eric Ten Hag. But there's also just a complete lack of a system. They, they looked no further on than they did at the end of last season in this game at the weekend. They just didn't. The personnel was slightly different with Lissandro Martinez, uh, Eric Christian Eriksen, but essentially the, the same problems remained. Okay, well, let's then let's go into it. Your tail is clearly wagging. You, you, not, ah, no, 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 no. Oh, I, I, I was actually wait. texting some Man United friends of mine in, in like disbelief because, again, maybe I'd bought too much into the preseason, but I just thought it can't be the same as last season. It it will definitely be better, and it wasn't. No, certainly not yet. It looked a lot like it did last season. In fact, I came across this quote from Gary Neville, which I thought was really interesting. 
Uh, he said, anyone who's watched those Manchester United players he has, referring to Ten Hag, um, he's been handed, will recognize that this was a familiar performance and the people above him should have known that it was an unaccept- unacceptable situation to hand Eric Ten Hag that squad. It needed improving more than it has been. There's still time in the window, but he needed three or four weeks more to work with them. Every coach comes in thinking they can do better than the last coach with the players at his disposal as they believe they're a better coach. And that is probably the case with this. But the reality is he's seen what those players are capable of today. Yeah. And he probably, like, there were signs in preseason. Like, for example, one of the big problems is they have a goalkeeper who's on, who's a, he's the best paid goalkeeper in football, as far as we know. And he... Just, I think, in his development, missed the point at where the passing goalkeeper became absolutely essential. I mean, he's terrible with his feet. So it's very hard to initiate the kind of football that Ten Hag wants, the control of the ball, to play it through through the phases. Then he has two midfielders in Fred and McTominay who can't receive the ball with their backs to, to, the, to, uh, to the opposition, turn quickly, drive forward, connect passes, get the ball up the field. So if you're wondering why Erickson and Sancho were probably as, as quiet or ineffective as they were, I mean, that's a big part of it. They can't work the ball to them. Um, they look slightly better in the second half, I would say. Um, but, but generally speaking, and, and you may see more from Donny van de Beek as, uh, as the season goes on, um, but uh, they have... They have systemic issues. They have structural issues. And, and, and some of these players just just they're not good enough so full disclosure uh normally i write up our rundowns for the podcast yeah but you you took that this week which i appreciated because you're on vacation it was nice of you and you and it's great what you got here but one of the things you put in the united section was it feels like the hot seat at united has just gone up a few degrees a andrew yeah i felt you were you went in far too hard on me your obsession with four simple words is scary and you need help. It needs to be addressed. Your obsession with, I told you so it's frightening. It's frightening to me. Who should I see about that? I mean, I, I could, I have any number of recommendations. New York is teeming with psychiatrists, JJ. I'm sure they could all do, do wonders with you. I can only afford the Dr. Nick Riviera version, (laughs) but like, the for for you to reach the I told you so moment after ninety minutes, I mean this is like who spikes the ball on an opinion for a full season after ninety minutes of play? This ah, is, no. I, no, 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 this no, is no. frightening. No, no, I I still stick by the um, I still stick by my my thought on on Ten Hag being the right manager, uh, and forget the dunking. The, the the reason I put that in was because again I'm so suggestible. Uh, one of our listeners tweeted us and said, Andrew owes you an apology. They also uh, need help. Yeah, exactly. They need help as well. But forget, forget that for a second. Um, let's circle back. When when did we first hear Ten Hag was coming in? It was like literally the end of the summer, right? The end of the season. We we knew fairly early he was he was definitely going to be manager, right? Yeah, but it, remember, well, yeah, that's yeah, that's right, actually. The nego- yeah. It felt like negotiations had started. Right. Like and while it was, play was still going on. Yeah. And it felt like it was pretty much nailed on. Yeah. Um, that he was coming in. And so me and you did a little, I can't remember which podcast it is, but it's up there for the listeners. If they want to go back, we'll talk in May direction. And me and you did a kind of a, you know, a chat 
about, well, why is he a good hire? Why is he not a good hire? And one of the things that we brought up or that we talked about was kind of what you were talking about in terms of signings getting lost in, in, in the process, getting lost on the, on the food chain at Manchester United somewhere. They get eaten up and they never make it to the, to the, you know, to the team. Um, one of the things we said, Andrew, was this. He wouldn't have the structures he had at Ajax, right? He wouldn't have Edwin van der Zaar, and he wouldn't have Mark Overmars. And so the people feeding him the players and also the people acting on his wishes aren't at United. These are different people. These are legacy people, some of them not very successful. So, so that's a structural breakdown there too. Now, I completely understand why Manchester United couldn't go after Mark Overmars. I mean, Mark Overmars was so good as a um, as a director of football or a sporting director that when he re-signed his contract at Ajax, they had a um, they had an announcement video, you know, like like he was a player or something, and that that so rarely happens. <laughs> like you don't see executives getting announcement videos, but obviously he got into some pretty serious bother at Ajax and was let go and went to another club in Belgium, and it would have been it would have been tough for United to go and bring him in. But maybe they should have gone after Van der Zaar, brought Van der Zaar, brought, brought a Ten Hag person so they could be that voice in the room when these transfers are um, are being hashed out. Seems to have been a natural fit, too, given his ties to the club. Yeah. I wonder, did they? Maybe maybe he's happy in his role mm-hmm. at IX. Maybe, maybe they felt as well his role in, in not being on top of what Overmars was doing in terms of his personal activities with other members of staff was not was not a good he wouldn't have been Maybe. a good hire at this moment it wasn't the right time to bring him in but there's a whatever you may think of them there's a big old brands trust that is not gone with ten hag that were crucial to what he did now linked with some of this jj if we're going to talk about players in or out at manchester united um Obviously, the Frankie de Jong stuff continues. We'll get to that a little bit later on as it's taken an even weirder turn, maybe. Um, but now there's talk, and I, you can correct me if if these have gone official. I don't know at this point if they have, but Marco Arnautovic has been talked about. It's not happening now. It's not happening now. Uh, um, our friend of the pod, Mark Christie, said, Manchester United have ended their pursuit of Marco Arnautovic as per Laurie Whitwell. And Laurie tweets about how um, they decided uh, to sit down. They're not going to pursue it. Bologna had rejected. Imagine Bologna rejected United's offer. So they were just playing the game to get, see how much they could get for a 33-year-old. That Let's be honest, nobody Very. else, no other major player is looking, a uh, major football club in Europe is looking to buy. That one but, felt very strange. Very, very odd. So that's not happening now. Um also, apparently, according to Laurie, they did listen to the reaction from supporters. I mean, Gary Neville, I don't know if you heard him on Sky, he was asked directly, what about Mark Aronautovic? And he just went, I have, I have nothing to say about Marco Aronautovic coming to Manchester United. It was almost like, what is going on here? So that's not happening, but it seems as if Adrian Rabio is happening. I mean... Like, I guess I would look at that if I were a United supporter and say, just kind of like, okay, fine. Like, I don't know that it's a bad signing. I don't know that it's a good signing. He makes a little more sense, maybe, certainly than Arnautovic, just based on the position 
that he might be able to play. Correct. He has yeah. versatility in midfield. Um, but he has a, I mean, he has a, how should we say, a, a personality from the past and a mother as an agent, which do you really want coming into Manchester United or having in around the dressing room? He is technically, um, I suppose, not suppose, he is technically a better footballer in terms of keeping the ball than Scott McTominay, for example, but he's not, He's. it's not like he's coming off a stellar time with Juventus. No. Juventus, if Juventus get 20 million, which is what we're hearing, that is, that is great business by Juventus. I just wonder um, if United, JJ, just over the course of the summer, you know, the, the De Jong stuff has just carried on for so long and it was such a potentially large sum of money um, that they kind of wound up in this position where they put most of their eggs in one basket and they've been tied up in that and it hasn't left them a lot of room to make other moves. They've probably just assumed all along, this will get done. Barcelona are playing hardball. They need money, you know, but it's dragged on for maybe far longer than they thought. And I wonder if that's inhibited their ability to spend elsewhere. Yeah, possibly. I, I just, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that they target. They probably felt that they would be able that De Young would be much more willing to come to the club. But if you saw De Young, I think it was at the weekend in in a friendly the reception he got and the uh, some of the play he put together. Uh, he looked very happy. He was smiling. He looked like a guy that wants to be at Barcelona, and I kind of believe him that he wants to stay there. I, I definitely feel that in that almost Cruyffian mold. Uh, mold. He he was looking at his career and thinking, you know, the next step for me is Barcelona, and it's the place I want to be. And for him to pull the ripcord on that, kind of two or three years in, is is just not what he wants to do. So the player definitely made it difficult. Barcelona's situation as well made it doubly difficult. And yeah, maybe they focus too much on this, but now they are just scrambling, and it's not a position you want to be in. The Ronaldo situation. How does Rabiot arrive and affect that? Um, I mean, is Ronaldo just going to look at this? And I, I suppose the problem is there is nowhere for Ronaldo to go. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I think the most likely place is MLS right now, at the moment. Um, if that if that a deal can be cobbled together for him, but I don't see anywhere at a major club in Europe that's playing Champions League football. But they need to get rid of him. So it's just it's one thing after another for Ten Hag right yeah. now. Maybe the Champions League football that he was looking for was Concacaf Champions League all along. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine him on a cut-up pitch in like San Pedro Sula, getting elbowed in the neck? Just it, it, what a what a way to go out. Um, we should say before we move off of this, Brighton. I mean, what a start to their season this is to go there and and come away with two-one winners. Um, you know, it, it's interesting too. I, I mentioned Caicedo before as somebody that was on United's radar. There are reports also that Graham Potter initially at one stage or another was on United's radar for a possible manager position. And Tottenham's and Everton's. But but the difference here was that it sounded like United said, nah, based on his lack of Champions League experience. I think Tottenham were interested and Potter was not interested in them, um, which is a whole nother story. Yeah. Um, but, but but again, look, if, but it's not. I feel weird even bringing this up in that sort of context because, unlike you, uh, I am nowhere near ready to say that Eric Ten Hag is the wrong appointment. I didn't say like that. that. I, I said I said the problems are that 
Ten Hag might be the right manager, but he, he just may not have the people around him to get done what needs to be done in the fashion that he did at Ajax. That's, I, that's, not, a uncon- that's not a controversial view. Uh, no, it's not. But it's but I think after 90 minutes of play, it's a bit much to have said that. OK, I mean, fine. Well, here we are. We've come out of the season. I'm invigorated and maybe maybe I've overstepped the mark. Let me apologize now, Andrew. How about that? That's very big of you. Growth. Um, let's go to the other Manchester club, JJ. Although they don't feel like it, the other anything right now. They are they are the crown jewel of this sport, it seems, at the moment. Well, I, I don't know. Real Madrid probably have something to say about that. Yeah, um, I think they literally have a crown in their crest, Andrew. So, you know, yeah. behave yourself. Um, two nil. Manchester City victorious over West Ham. The defending champions start the season on the right foot down at the London Stadium. And if we're going to talk about overreactions, uh, as we were moments ago with with Ten Hag, then I think we have to talk about Erling Holland for a moment because um, I think that last week the Community Shield and like the reaction to that from Holland's performance, I think that goes into just like the Hall of Fame of bad sports days for Twitter. Like it was the dumbest day in soccer that I have seen on that platform maybe ever. But- but don't forget that it, in the modern Twitter, it's not about being right, Andrew. It's about getting the likes, the clicks, the retweets from your mashed up video of mistakes from a clear out of context mistakes from a clearly top, top player. That's the idea of it. It's not actually about Erling Haaland being bad. It's not about uh, Erling Fraudland. Oh. <laughs> As I saw him describe, it's not about that. It's about getting the clicks, getting the retweets, getting some energy and, 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 oh, I hate the word. Oh, it gives me the creeps. Bantering back at your rivals. That's what it's about. You know, you'll still see uh, somebody with maybe like eh, seven, 8,000 followers somewhere in that region, you know, and they'll have a picture of the Chelsea crest as their avatar and they'll be called CFC for life, and they'll list a load of stats And for Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard, mind, who's mm. retired how many years? And underneath they'll write, Steven Gerrard could never, dot, dot, dot. And that just gives them, like, they'll get the retweets from the Chelsea horde. They'll get the retweets from, uh, you know, maybe a few Barcelona fans who are of that same kind of ilk of online person. This isn't about analysis. This isn't about actually having a considered opinion. This is about nothing more than the dopamine hit of getting those retweets. You're probably right. Um, but it was bad enough after the community show that it was it was a log off day for me when I saw what was transpiring, the silliness of what was transpiring. It is. And, silly, and if I'm, look, if I'm going to spike the ball on an opinion and I'll spike it on my Man City, Erling Holland preview last week, where I said everyone just stop, stop. But the, like, the minute the minute Holland uh, scored the penalty, right? Because it was his first goal was a penalty. Mm-hmm. I thought of all those guys who get in the replies of Barcelona's and United's and everybody's mentions with like non sequitur things, uh, either in support of Cristiano Ronaldo or against him, or in support of Messi against him, where they go like uh, they call him Pessi and Penaldo. So I was coming up with um, Penling Penland. Okay. I mean, look. I was waiting to see it. 
in fairness to him, he also drew the penalty, which no, I feel like co- does give course. you some bonus points. Hey, that's not going into my uh, that's not going into my mashed up video slagging him off. No, 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 certainly not. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, but like this idea coming out of the community shield that you know, I don't know if he's going to fit this system. Uh, I don't know if if the chemistry between him and De Bruyne, if they'll ever figure this out, or if these city players are too ingrained in playing a certain way, they're not they're not ready for the runs that he'll be making. Stop! Like, it, this guy is a brilliant player, and, and like Pep Guardiola, like other players have entered the city system and figured it out and become great players there when they played elsewhere beforehand. They didn't all come up through the city ranks but and the, youth system. But, Believe us. But uh, like so. You want it's to spike nonsense. the ball. You want to spike the ball after ninety minutes yes. against West Ham, and I think I think okay, fair enough. But I would imagine that there will be teams who will be even more compact and maybe even deeper, or and much more awkward to get through than West Ham United. So he, he, every day is not going to be a salad day. But you can see that this can work, and that the, and 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 that there are the components there to make it happen. What I really want to see, and it's going to be fascinating, is when Antonio Conte rocks up to the Etihad. Or they've or or conversely, City visit Tottenham. I think if there's a manager who will be ready to stop Erling Haaland, it's going to be Conte. And he, well, yeah, Haaland specifically, but it's weird. Tottenham had a a weird amount of success against Manchester City last year. Yeah, but I mean, West Ham did kind of towards the end of the season. Yeah. They gave they opened a glimmer of hope for Liverpool with that draw at uh, towards the end of the season at the London Stadium, I believe. So, but look, it. <laughs> There was times when Haaland looked absolutely imperious, you know, and so hard to defend or even to figure out how to defend. I, I, I still think he's going to score bagfuls. Bagfuls. Yeah. Well, he's. I mean, we've always talked about him. He's just like, it's like he was created in a lab. Like he's one of those types. Just this, like the blend of size and strength and speed. It's just like you don't see this very often. I also look at the way the game panned out as well, Andrew. Like. There was 25 minutes to go when they scored their second goal. And West Ham got, got they brought on Skamaka. Uh, West Ham got nothing out of the rest of the game. Like nothing. Manchester City did that thing where they they put the stranglehold on a game and it's it's over. You might as well start scrolling through your phone. Um, Holland is the second Manchester City player to score a brace on his Premier League debut. Aguero did it in 2011. That's good company to follow. Um, you, you said West Ham had some success against City. I don't know. Uh, I saw a stat here that uh, this extended um, Man City's Premier League unbeaten streak versus West Ham to 14. I know. They got like success against City for, for a lot of clubs is getting a point off them, man. So, <laughs> no, so, yeah, I suppose relative that's true. success. Yeah. Um, let's continue now as we roll through the opening weekend in the Premier League. Fulham and Liverpool, JJ. Oh. Um, Another spike the ball moment for yours truly. Hey. Silva, manager of the season. <laughs> Fulham, best performing promoted side. Dunk. 2-2, your <laughs> final. This was a fun one, JJ. Um, this was a tremendously fun game. And we had a Fulham supporter who I was very surprised at, Lee, who sent us wine once. Seems like an all-round nice guy. Yeah, straight away into the mentions. You see what he tweeted? Um, was this the one about? I'm I'm sure you'll spend the entire podcast moaning about what Liverpool did wrong rather than talking about what Fulham did well. Yeah. Okay. Unbelievable. Yeah, I did. Then yes, I did see. That. Yeah, but like right before, 
right but like we hadn't I, even recorded a podcast yet he didn't who knows what we're going to talk about i don't think i'd really offered a, a an opinion and so now purely out of spite we will take the next 40 minutes and talk only fulham if you ever want your way on this podcast challenge us we it's will the always fulham pod sponsored by that time you took a trip to london <laughs> Um, I, I'm excited, by the way, speaking of that, to see that new Craven Cottage full. Well, I want those stand like that's a huge chunk of the stadium that was empty. They made the most amount of noise I've ever heard in that place. Um, oh, no, I, I tell a lie. The Juventus game. Yes. Uh, yes. Come on now. Um, I mean, look, yeah, we'll talk about Fulham and what they did well. Uh, boy, <laughs> Mitrovic looks like he could be a problem this time around in the Premier League. He was not ever bad before, but like this, the like the leap over Trent for the first goal, I was like, oh, well, you look different. Honestly, Andrew, with your high school basketball experience, most people's high school basketball experience, if I popped one up at the back post and you're behind Trent and he can't see you, I fancy most people in that position. But I definitely, the last person I wanted to see was Mitrovic. If you see, following the Republic of Ireland, you get to see Mitrovic unleashed. You get to see him for Serbia. You don't get to see him playing for these tin pot teams in the Premier League. Mm. And they no disrespect to Fulham, but they they have been tin pot the last few times they've been up with him. And 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 when he played for Newcastle, Mitrovic played in bad teams. It's as simple as that. And this is uh, when you see him play for Serbia. You're like, what a player he is. How has someone not come in for him? Um, I, I've never seen him more slender. I've never seen him start yeah. a season so fit and strong looking. And he was an, he was an absolute handful all day long. So that was what you said there, his fitness. I think that's an interesting element to talk about with him because Marco Silva, uh, he spoke about it after the game. He said he's so much more than goals, which really seemed to be true. Like he, you know, his, his work rate, his effort level in constantly pestering Liverpool players on the ball, always trying to win back possession for Fulham. I mean, he was he was really difficult to deal with in that way. He could be fun. I mean, forty three goals last season in the in the championship, and people kind of want to say, okay, well, you got to do it up here. We've seen you ah, before. Here. You've never been that guy. Not saying he's going to break goal scoring records, but it it might be a different version of him than what people have known before. Agreed. I just want to talk quickly about Fulham in general. What they all did well. If you start the game with the intensity that they started the game with, it's hard. And Jurgen Klopp mentioned it. It's hard to wrestle it back. They started, they won every, they pressed really well in the midfield. They won every second ball, Andrew. And Liverpool were just that tiny percentage off with their passing early on. But Fulham were in there winning the ball, breaking up play, creating down the left, creating down the right. They were just on it. And uh, Tim Ream had some interesting things to say after the game. So I saw this. Would you imagine this was different from what they did in the championship? And he answered, there was nothing different at all. We knew from our structure last year, everybody knew what we wanted to do. And that's to press. Yes, we knew that we were going to be, there were going to be times where we couldn't do that. But for the most part, it was, let's get in their faces and be aggressive and see what happens. At the end of the day, you do that, you put the other team on their heels and all of a sudden the game changes. You saw that today. Was that the quote you were thinking of? Sort of, but he went further. Go on. He said, we did exactly what we wanted to. Made the game tough, no matter who they are, where they are, what the caliber they are. To a man, we did that today. 
he said this to BT Sport. He said, we knew that if we could be aggressive and, aggressive and if we took the game to um, to them, they would find it difficult. Whether they were prepare, uh, prepared for it or not, that's on them. We knew what our game we knew we knew what our game plan was, and we pretty much did it perfectly. Um, yeah. Do you um just just a a side note, and we're, I'm sure we'll do lots of these side notes over the coming months because we just have no choice but to uh, with a World Cup on the horizon. We've seen him primarily in the left back position when when and Greg's liked him there. If you watch uh, the way he played at the weekend, and I'm not saying it was perfect, but it was a played in a winning side against one of the best teams in Europe. Uh, does that give Greg pause for thought? Oh, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) So here's what I'll say about it. There are probably people in England, you know, Reem has been there for a long time now, um, who will see Tim Reem, find out that he's American and think, Something to the effect of like, oh, we might have a hard time dealing with him come the World Cup. And then they'll be told, well, actually, he's not in the squad. At which point they'll respond with, wow, really? You must be loaded at center back. At which point we'll say, well, we're really not. Now, like, I know it's not that simple. Like, they, they would have said that when Miles Robinson was healthy because they don't necessarily know any better about what's going on in MLS or what we're doing during qualifying or Nations League. So I get it. But like, but it does speak to this idea of Reem has been a successful player in Europe in and out of the Premier League for a while now, but he's got a lot of Premier League experience. He's the captain of this Fulham side. Like he ticks, he does tick some boxes that makes you stop and think for a sec of like, yeah, why don't, you know, we're talking about Chris Richards and Aaron Long, you know, why aren't, why is his name not part of this? Like he didn't retire from no. international play. Like, you know, it, it's interesting because he, he was very good in the first half of this game. Um, and, the, you know, he might have been a little bit at fault on Salah's goal. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, 90 minutes defending against Liverpool is an unusually difficult assignment for a center half. Like, I don't know of any center halves that go through 90 minutes against them without a, a misstep here or there. But like, you know, in terms of boxes, he ticks like leader, certainly a leader. Fulham's captain for a number of years used to playing in like a pressure pack stage, um, whether that be the Premier League or trying to earn promotion with this club. Like he played 46 matches for them last season as their captain. I mean, look, if it comes down to Aaron Long, very good MLS defender, but in my opinion, a guy who has not nailed down the job, Chris Richards, a guy who may not, between now and the World Cup, like he was an unused sub over the weekend. That may be the case a lot over the next few months. Or Tim Ream, a guy who's captaining a Premier League side, like it, his name, I think it has to be in the mix. It's got to at least be considered. I suppose the worry is with the high line, has he got the pace if we're caught in behind, if, you know, to, to recover? That's a big question when you talk about Greg Berhalter's mm-hmm. sides. Also, Greg's just proclivity early on was to play him at left back. Now, he terrifies me at left back. Oh, and now that won't happen, barring no. a disaster. So to have him on board as an as a experienced centre-half, even if you don't start him, especially if he's starting every game in the Premier League right up until the World Cup, that is that would be a big call not to bring him. And one uh, other thing, like, I don't know how much this matters, but do you give any, do you give any credence to the idea that, like, He's got to have some level of chemistry coming in with Anthony Robinson. 
They're playing next to each other. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose they they'll know each other from training. They'll they'll know each other on you know. I mean, I suppose I need to look at the stats. How good of a passing center back is is Reem? That's another one to be considered in in a great system. Sure, I, I'd have to. Uh, I should have done this beforehand, but maybe I'll get to it. I'd need to have a look on FB ref progressive passes, things like that. No, look, no, no one is saying it's him. Like I'm not going to say that after after but, one game. But why is the door being shut? Right, but but like we haven't, and this is partially our fault too. When we've been going through the candidates, we haven't mentioned him. We should. All I'm saying is we should. He should be in the mix. Now, look, he could get he could get rinsed in the next three weekends, mm-hmm. like absolutely torn asunder, and me and you will probably have a different opinion. But from what we saw at the weekend, it just it popped into my mind. That's all I'll say. And you and it was right to your mind is in the right place. Because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fully with you. Uh, what about the Liverpool side of this, JJ? I mean, look for for however, you know, for all the good things that Fulham did, for whatever bad Liverpool were, slow starting, all that stuff. They were a Jordan Henderson crossbar in stoppage time away from taking all three points in this one. Yeah, and and look, the XG, uh, the XG. If you look at the chances Liverpool created, they still created the better chances. Although I always felt that Fulham were were really dangerous, particularly particularly on the break. I, and, and I didn't fancy us coming back after the Mitrovic penalty, which, by the way, I didn't think was a penalty, first of all. But now that I look at it in terms of the way VAR, there was knee-on-knee knee contact, definitely not enough to send a man of, of of Mitrovic's strength over. But, you know, he took it the opportunity and and there wasn't enough to save. There was a clear mistake by the referee. So penalty it is. I also have no problem with the foul on Henderson in the lead-up to the first goal. Mm-hmm. If that's yeah. not called, okay, I mean, even Klopp didn't really have a problem with that. He said, you know, maybe they don't go so far back. You know, it, you have to call it there. You can't be rewinding after the goal, is the point I'm making. Um, I do think Tete should have been sent off, though. That tackle in um, early on in the game was was unbelievable. Just a, a shocking ta- tackle. And while I'm at it, Scott McTominay should have walked too as well at Old Trafford. Just, I know there's like the high bar for taking in VAR and, and, and re-looking at these incidents. And I know there's the, the kind of let it flow kind of buzz that we're on since last season, but some tackles just have to be dealt with. Um, li- no, Liverpool just didn't start well and, and, and Fulham started excellently. And it was hard for Liverpool to get a rhythm going. Um, Klopp's talk, Klopp, Klopp's basic point was this, and uh, this is a quote. He said, the result was fine. We didn't deserve more than this. The performance is massively improvable. And I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a stop, a stat by Opta that came out, which was kind of interesting. 30 plus. Liverpool have six players aged 30 plus in their starting lineup today. The first time they've done it since February 1994 versus Southampton. Huh, that is interesting. Firmino, Henderson, Matip, Salah, Thiago, and Van Dijk. They're all grown up now. Uh, yeah, but I mean, my concerns about the age and the the prone nature of some of that midfield to injury. Like Thiago is now out. It's six weeks confirmed today. That is. Oh my God. That's huge. Now I was listening to um, the second captain's podcast. Ken early made the point. Listen, these young players that are coming in now, are, are they just additions to the bench, to the first team squad? Or are they going to play Carvalho and Harvey Elliott? They have to come in and step up now. Mm-hmm. You know, I see them as coming in. Keita can't be relied on. Milner is like when you see Milner coming onto the field, it's kind of a, a reminder that we talked about Liverpool's depth 
It's not there at midfield. It's there if everyone stays fit. It's not when things like Thiago getting injured happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, very early, I expect Liverpool, there was such a, such a big gap in performance between the intensity of the Man City game and then the Fulham intensity and the lack thereof from Liverpool. So, look, I, I, I was glad to get out of there with a point by the end of it, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. I wonder, too, I wonder what you think of this, if it's a little difficult sometimes for... Uh, and look, Liverpool are one of the best teams in the world, so maybe I'm I'm dumb to say this, but like first game for a promoted side at home, I was thinking about that a little bit. Think about Brentford last year against Arsenal. Uh, think about what Bournemouth did to Villa over the weekend. I just wonder if sometimes that can be a difficult task for the visiting team to go in there when that team is just going to be as up for that game as any game they'd been up for in years. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... I don't know. Just an just an observation. Yeah, the people I was talking to beforehand. I mean, most of us felt this is this is three points for Liverpool. Whatever it shakes, way it shakes out, and Mm -hmm. and that was not the case. No team has ever won the Premier League, JJ, when failing to win its season opener versus a newly promoted team. That is a uniquely specific (laughs) stat. Take with it, do with it whatever you would like. Thank you for it. Might might be nothing more than throwing it in the garbage, but I figured I would just throw it out there. By the way, I, I we couldn't get out of here without. Um, me at least mentioning the Moner in chief is at it again after just one game. Dry pitch. Come on, man. Well, uh, oh, I think here we go. I, I, so when I initially saw that, I was like, oh, God, no, Jurgen. So I thought he went on like a minute or 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute on the pitch being yeah, dry. No, it wasn't like that. It was, a, it, no, he was very, he was, he was, he was absolutely hands up about the Liverpool performance. But he had he to get not, it in, though. He didn't blame the ref. No, he mentioned the pitch as an aspect. And as I said, like people who know the game will know that what a, what a, what the dominant team wants, what the really good team wants is a slick pitch. They can get their passing going. They can get their movement. The pace of the game is upped. Now, I don't believe this was a deliberate tactic by Fulham not to water the pitch. It was 90 degrees. So any amount of water that was going to be on it was going to evaporate fairly, fairly quickly. So I don't blame Fulham for it. I, I do wish Top wouldn't didn't say it because I knew this would be the response. All I saw was clippings of this response. And then I saw it was like a minute 45, two minutes answer or chat with the BT Sport. And after at the end of it, I thought, ah, that's a bit unfair just to hone in on the grass thing. But look, when you're the, the moaner in chief, mm-hmm. you mentioned the grass. and you Against the, the newly promoted side. And you're yeah, you're, you're always going to get the blowback, I guess. Yeah. And by the way, it wasn't just like fans latching onto it. Fulham, from their official Twitter account, tweeted a picture the next day of them, uh, of the sprinklers going pre-match, I guess, uh, the previous day. So Yeah, well, they... you know, we, we all love it when the admin gets involved. It's like the waiter getting involved in your joke. Now the waiter. <laughs> yeah, what's the song again? <laughs> it's uh, No, it's a, it's just a clip from Family Guy where... Uh, right. Oh, that's more annoying than when the waiter gets involved and they're having a chat back and forward and he makes a joke and then he just sticks his head into the frame and looks at both of them and goes, no, I'm involved. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. There's a couple other uh, Premier League matches that I wanted to talk about, um, including the uh, the performance from Brendan Aronson over the weekend with Leeds. We've got a couple MLS things I want to mention. Barcelona as well. So there's actually still a lot to do. And things I saw on the internet. We've got a oh. little hint from that. Oh, yes. Love things that you saw on the internet. So we still got a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. 
let's go right back into it, JJ, shall we? We shall. We've got a lot to do here. Uh, and let's go to Yorkshire. Leeds United 2-1 over Wolves. Excuse me. Read read the joke. Read the little pun I put into the, the rundown, please. I'll leave that to you. I wrote Yorkshire, more like Yankshire. Mm. Am I right? Huh? Uh, Leeds win 2-1 over Wolves. Uh, Jesse Marsh starting the season with three points, which was important. And so, I mean, look, I'm just going to go right to it for me. Brendan Aronson, JJ, he was... They're going to love him. They're just going to love him. They love him already. I yeah. mean, he got a stand innovation when he got subbed out. And I don't even care. By the way, the, the, I mean, the buzzkill of the weekend was finding out that he didn't actually score that goal. I mean, did we really need that? Couldn't they have just, come on, couldn't they have just given it to him? But at any rate, uh, he, he was, he did. It's funny because like he just did all the Brendan Aronson things that we know. I, I mean, the way the first goal was set up. He never gives up on a play. He wins back possession and Rodrigo winds up finishing it off to put uh, to get leads back on level terms with Wolves. And like, that's just what he's going to do. He's going to be buzzing all over the place. He's always around the ball. And he like that sort of work rate that will get you to be appreciated and well liked by a set of fans. But if you do that and you score goals, which I mean, we thought he scored the winner close enough and he will do that for them like that that's how you get to be loved and i think he's i just think he's going to be that guy for them yeah it's not just work rate he's good on the ball links to play well he's dynamic lufc data who i checked out i can verify they are they are good normal people they tweeted brendan aronson applied pressure to opposing players receiving carrying or releasing the ball 31 times more than any other premier league player after match day one and by the way, along those lines, uh, I believe this, there's a stat that only Martin Odegaard covered more ground over the weekend than Tyler Adams. And Tyler Adams nipping in, winning tackles, getting on the ball. It's just it and breaking very, through the very midfield. Good. I mean, his pass set up the you know his initial pass set up what turned out to be the winning goal. His 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 ability to win the ball back. His ability. I mean, I said this before. They are a a fan base that has grown up with the lore, the legend of, of ball winning, skillful midfielders like John Giles and, and, um, and Bremner. And so they were Billy Bremner. And so they will absolutely love the fact that he gets stuck in like that. I mean, you couldn't have asked for two better performances really. Now I will say even Leeds United fans will tell you, it wasn't exactly a pristine performance. I mean, Wolves dominated for long periods of the second half and the, the, the Aronson goal, which we will call it an Aronson goal, that was against the run of play. They also conceded. Um, they conceded relatively early on as well, conceded the first goal. Um, so uneven performance overall, but for our boys, for our Yanks in Yorkshire, cannot complain, really cannot complain about that. Um, on a different note, Andrew, just wanted to ask you about, uh, <laughs> we've seen another piece of evidence in the scrapbook of goalkeepers can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. I thought of you when I saw this. Oh, come on. Yeah. Like I, I I think it was in the lead up to the goal. So I think at the end of the day, you know, it'll be forgotten, but um, Jose Saad just clattered into Rasmus Christensen. Now Christensen won the header, but he's, he's poleaxed. And that should have been straight point straight to the spot. I mean, if it was a central defender or a, it was happening on any other point of the field, part of the field. That's definitely a penalty. But 
I think it's something the league will have to address. I think all leagues will have to address. Goalkeepers get away with way more. Um, and they've always been a protected species. Well, not mm-hmm. always. The 1950s, you you can see goalkeepers getting like barged into the net in possession of the ball. But of late, they've been far too protected. But not that they're protected, that they're allowed. No, they're it's, allowed ba- to... it's baked into the DNA of today's game that that, yeah. that a goalkeeper can get away with more well, than everyone else on the field. That's well, just, Dur- we've all come to kind of accept it. Uh, Dermot, I've forgotten his last name. How have I forgotten his last name? Who, Dermot, the, the former Premier League referee. Oh. Why am I forgetting? Um, Dermot was talking about... Um, it's funny to hear you only now call him by his first name. Like yeah, you know him. I know. Oh, I can't be bothered looking it up. The Dermot um, was talking about, <laughs> on Skype, was talking about why the penalty wasn't given. And he agreed it was a foul. He agreed letter of the law, it's a penalty. But he said, because it's happened so often, like you said, it's baked in, there would have been uproar if that was given. And all those others down the years or even in the recent, very recent past haven't been given. That is not a reason not to give what is clearly a penalty, though. Well, if it's going to change, it can't just suddenly happen in one game like that. Like it's something that would have to be kind of talked about over a summer and then leading into a new season, everyone would kind of have to be on the same page. Like, it's yeah. not up to just one referee to suddenly make that decision for the league. No, I know it's not. I know. But, like, they've they've sat down together and they've made other changes. Maybe they could do this. Dermot Gallagher, of course. I'm there you about. go. Good Lord. Derm. Uh, Derm. Let's see. Tottenham 4-1 over Southampton. They begin the season with three points in the bag. Give me uh, your thoughts, Andrew. I I didn't even. This is the one game I didn't see any of. Oh, I took this one in all ninety minutes. Amanda actually, just by coincidence, she took the kids to a friend's house to go swimming, and I said, "I'll I'll meet you over there in about two hours and fifteen minutes." And I uh, oh. Oh, I just I had the whole living room to myself. It was quiet. Had it on the big screen. It was. Uh, it was a nice way to start the season. Did now, you sprawl? Did you sprawl out with some chips and a soda? Uh, no soda, but chips. Yes. Salsa. Yes. Uh, even though it was kind of early, but it's never too early for chips and salsa watching, watching soccer. It was, it was great. I was in, I was really in my moment. The season was back. I had my team on the screen in front of me. Uh, they won four one. It was just, it was a good day. It's funny how like I'm 38, like I should be beyond the point where my team winning or losing has an effect on my weekend, but it just does. It just does. And the Eagles do the same thing for me. Like wh- when Tottenham loses on Saturday, the weekend is it's we're starting from a bad place. It's hard to get it back. You kind of lose the weekend. But that's that's because of it. There is a, a, a yawning. And I think it's in most men of, of, of our vintage in our of our age. There's a yawning, gaping gap that modern society has has created for us in our lives. You know, you settle down, you meet someone, you get married. And then you're like, okay, the routine, earning money, you know, the basic drudge of the society we're in. We need these things because it's sometimes it's it's not enough. We need that action. We need that buzz. We need that risk. We need that jeopardy because ordinary life doesn't provide it. Now, I, I'm sure I'm talking to people who are out there who are, hey, hey, listen, I have enough jeopardy trying to feed my children and do all those things. I understand that, but I think we need this too. We're no, we don't have, we don't have this in our life anymore. We need sport to fabricate uh, excitement. Sure. 
take umbrage maybe with some of those things that my life is uh, spiraled into a pointless drudge to the grave. But uh, fair enough. I, I take some of those some of those points and understand them. Pointless um, drudge to the grave. <laughs> I didn't say that. Well, that's what I was getting from that message. Uh, can I give you one weird stat that I no, almost like? You're not allowed. Oh, all right. Then I'll continue. No, I'm going to give it to you. Um, you. Did you know, JJ, this was this was Tottenham's first uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern time game since Burnley in 2019, which to spark your memory, that was the day that Sun scored the Puskas when he went. 80 yards and score like that was the last time that, that's the most common time slot is it not they haven't played in that slot in three years it's very strange Sorry. to me so when you said scored the post guess i knew exactly what you meant but i have a sick mind and i had an image of son drop kicking an elderly man into the net <laughs> i just thought that was very weird yeah, um, no, that's that's really odd I, that yeah. was not a stat worth uh, worth saying whatever. well it's out there now baby uh, a couple things, just I won't go too deep on this, but a couple things. First off, I should say, I guess my dream scenario is kind of this game. Like my Forever. guy, James Ward, my guy, James Ward Prowse st- scores a goal, but my team still finds a way to win four one. Like that's kind of that's kind of the dream right there. Um, another stat in the calendar year of 2022. Tottenham have now scored more goals than any other Premier League side. One more than Manchester City, fifty-one to fifty, I think it is. This is uh, um, this team is really clicking into the in, in, into gears and the signings. For all the doubt, the manager himself even appeared to have over those signings in January. Uh, Kulishevsky on the score sheet again. Ah, you so, didn't see. Look, I can ask an all encapsulating question on on this game. You did not see anything in this game to suggest that uh, Tottenham's. Tottenham's preseason are coming into the season moniker of gate crashers to the top to a championship race or Southampton's relegation candidacy. Nothing in this game would have changed that opinion, right? No, certainly not. Um, if anything, I mean, I don't want to, I've spent this whole podcast saying that we can't make grand proclamations after 90 minutes. We just cannot do it. But there was, there was one thing with Tottenham that is just a thing to keep an eye on over the course of the season as to whether or not they, they actually can in some way pose be the other team in a title race. Um, a lot was made during the summer about fitness because, you know, under Nuno Tottenham were last in the Premier League. I think in, in like if fitness can be calculated in terms of how much you're running, things like that, they were among the worst teams in the league. And Conte is just not that guy. It's the polar opposite. And he came in and it's a hard thing to kind of change over the course in season, but he did the best he could, and I think Tottenham were, had improved in that area as the season went on. But then the summer hit, and we all saw the videos of Tottenham running 42 back and forths on a soccer field and guys throwing up on the side. But like then you see them come out, and you, and you try to kind of think about that and then see, okay, how's that manifesting itself? I mean, J.J., it was like the 81st minute, and Kulisevsky is still pressing with Tottenham up 4-1, and he's hounding every Southampton player up the pitch to try to win the ball back. Like this team went down a goal and there was no hanging of the heads. Like sometimes what we talk about with maybe a Manchester United or what we've heard, I don't know about this version of Arsenal, but it's something that we used to hear about Arsenal. Troy Deeney talked about that in the past. Um, You didn't get that. Like you always felt like, okay, they'll, they'll be all right. Like that's something that I feel like this manager has kind of instilled in them. And, you know, the fitness thing in particular, I'm, I'm interested in. 
Um, because with Pochettino, that was always a big thing. Okay, they they were very fit, but by the end of the year, they crashed. They couldn't sustain it playing that style for an entire season. We'll see if Conte is different. If their training methods under this manager, if they hold up over the course of a season, well, it remains to be seen. They have a deep squad. None of those players started. All of the new players that were brought in, that was encouraging to me, just that this kind of message of Conte saying like, look, we were we were good before you all got here. These guys are going to have to earn their places. And that's the idea of making high-profile signings, right? Not just to bring in good players, but to try to get more than out of the players who are already there. Sessegnon scoring his first goal for Tottenham. Um, you know, Emerson is another guy who didn't score a goal in this game, but he was one of their best players, I thought. Another guy whose position had been challenged by a lot of fans who thought they could do better there. Parasich brought in, Jed Spence brought in, fullbacks that maybe could push for those spots, but they're going to have to earn those places off the guys who are already there. You know, Hoybier too. Everyone loved the Yves Basuma signing, and it might be great. Things are going to happen, dips in form, Champions League, all that. But like, you're not like Bentoncourt and Hoybier right now is a formidable pairing as like a in a defensive shield of a midfield like that's it's not gonna be easy to take those spots so i think that's the idea you bring in these signings and it's uh it, it ups the level of the guys who are already there so it was a good start for them you know it's like i said southampton i think are, they were one of my picks to be relegated so i wouldn't take too much away from it but you know four goals in the season opener it's it's the right way you want to start one of those goals i just want to say jj um i know it was only the first game of the or the first weekend of the season but we have a pretty high bar to reach for worst own goal of the season after the one that uh, Mohamed Salasu scored for Southampton. This was this was pretty horrifying for him. I'm going to have to go and look at that one because, yeah. as I said, that's that's uh, if it when you say horrifying, that that's that's not good. Pretty rough. That's... I mean, I, I could see you finding the good in it, being like, "Well, he's kind of backtracking. It's not the easiest angle, but I don't know. It's not the it's." It's not the kind of own goal you usually see. So you look it up and okay. uh, and share your thoughts. Um, let's see. Arsenal will stay in North London. They get it done against Crystal Palace in the season, the true season opener on Friday. Um, what'd you I make did, of this? Pretty good start, I thought, yeah, for, I thought, for the Gunners. There's not a ton to say about it, except like, I thought Arsenal started like just so strongly. Gabriel Jesus down the center. He slides one in for Martinelli, who... Pretty horrifying miss, um, but he redeems himself later. Good set-piece uh, routine that uh, Arteta said he'd worked on prior to the game. Zinchenko at the back post, heads it back in, then Martinelli um, <clears throat> converts. And then they get it. Then they kind of they dip off, and I, they kind of just dropped off. The intensity levels went down, and Palace definitely got into the game. Could have equalized before half time. Second half, a little bit more the same, but but Arsenal got it done, got that second goal. I was reading on Ars blog, and I think he said this team still has a tendency to let the intensity drop a little after we score. So instead of lead, building on the lead, we allow Palace back into it. If, if if Arsenal are to continue and are to be this 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 top four team that we we kind of think they can be, then that can't happen anymore. I would say that Zinchenko and Jesus debuts were excellent. Made a big difference to the side. Uh, Saliba at centre back, just very, very good. And and um, that season at, at at Marseille seems to have really, really helped him. Um, this is a, a very positive start for Arsenal. Clean sheet, two 0 win away from home. Potential tricky derby, uh, London derby. Negotiated it fine. Still, the question marks over. Just are they going to be resolute enough when they get a goal, they'll get another one and maintain control of the game. That's, that was my big thing that came out of that. 
Yeah. Um, anything else from over the weekend? I didn't have too much more. Um, there, actually, there was one thing, kind of a broad thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, you talked earlier about the penalty that Mitrovic earned with Van mm-hmm. Dyke. There was also a, maybe a little bit of controversy over the penalty that Chelsea earned against Everton when Ben Showell went down. Um, personally, I didn't really have a problem with either of them. But the one thing I wanted to say about it was that for the, you know, there were a lot of people who said neither of those for them were penalties. But like, here's the problem. These guys, you get in these situations where if Mitrovic, if Mitrovic feels any contact on his knee, he's got to go down. If Chilwell knows that, I forget who it was for Everton, that the player that had two hands on Chilwell. Once he feels yeah, the Dec- two hands Dec- on Corey. Decore, that's right. Once he feels two hands on him, he's got to go down. The reason they have to do this, I go back to the Tottenham game for a sec. Uh, I think it was in the first half. Emerson in the box for whatever good game he had, um, or second half, for whatever good game it was that he had, there was a moment where he had a blatant dive in the box to try to earn a penalty. Like it was clear as day. You mm. could see it. The referee waved it off immediately and we ran back and play continued. Right. If you want to prevent guys from doing these things, I'm not saying Chilwell or Mitrovic were wrong. I'm not saying those things were dives. I'm just saying in general, if you want to prevent these things, it can't just be the referee waving off the penalty and we go back the other way. Emerson needs to be yellow carded there. Okay. It was obvious. He need it, it has to happen if you want to truly take this out of the game. Otherwise, like the, the benefit of going down when you feel only a little bit of contact in the box, it, the benefit of it is just too great. And there's no downside. So like that, that was one thing that I saw from over the weekend, because you saw it in three different games, situations of controversy in that way that um, it just struck me that, yeah. uh, that those things happen. I suppose the other talking point, bad start for Steven Gerrard. Well, I think we'll, Again, we'll probably get to, to more of Aston Villa as the season goes on. Just on the Chelsea-Everton game, um, Chelsea have, or rather Everton, we talked about them on the preview pods. They're going to have to get players in, beef up that midfield. Um, so they've got in uh, Amadou Anana from Lille, and he's going to sit into that central midfield position. They paid €40 million Euro for him. So I know there was all that you, you spoke about. I mean, Everton could be in trouble in terms of their spending and and how it could break the rules. Apparently, that they've satisfied the Premier League that this spending is within what they're allowed to do. Um, and they've also signed. I mean, I didn't see this coming, but Wolves have decided to send Connor Cody on a loan move to Everton, which I found kind of strange. I mean, he's beloved at Molyneux, um, but apparently they want to move to more of a back four under Bruno Lage, so that's not going to really... I mean, Cody predominantly played in a back three with wing back, so we're going to see Connor Cody in blue, even though he was... Uh, I think he was once... A, he was a Liverpool player, came through the ranks at Liverpool. I believed he was a Liverpool supporter as well, but uh, he will. He was anxious to get to Everton, according to himself, so Connor Cody at Everton. Yeah. And then one other move that's um, over the last 24 hours or so seems to have really materialized. And that is Everton's opponent. Chelsea looks like they are sending Timo Werner back to Leipzig. Man, what yeah. a disappointment that turned oh. out to be. Oh, my God. Absolute. Uh, just a disaster. Another Chelsea center forward that hasn't really hit the heights. Yeah. So many near misses for him. Um, especially, I, I think, back in that first season of just like, all the almosts that he had, um, whether that be goals that were scored offside or just goals where he had great opportunities that he just didn't finish, but it just, it just never 
it never clicked for him there. Uh, it always felt for me, it felt at times like it, it was close, but nope. No. Nope. And they are cutting bait. Back to Leipzig he goes. Um, so yeah. End of uh end of another. I mean, I guess you add him to the list, right, JJ? Yep, add him to the list. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend the other night, and Mateja Kejman came up and Adrian Mutu mm. from the er- early years of the Abramovich money, two signings who probably didn't work out either. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's leave the Premier League now. Um, and you want to talk a little bit about Barcelona? Well, I mean, as much as we can, really. Uh, they can't. So now, sometimes I, I think JJ about you know if something you know, like if something feels strange to you, sometimes you just need to trust your instincts. If if something feels a little bit off, it probably is. You know, like I remember feeling that way when like the TV rights were awarded for the world, the upcoming World Cups in the United States, and like they were awarded to Fox for free. And like that felt weird to me. Felt like maybe something was up there. And then you find out that like there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And like yes. Qatar getting the World Cup, that feels a little bit strange. And then you find out, well, yeah, it seems like guys are going to jail, like because of these things. Like this, this, this whole summer with Barcelona has to fall into that category. Like this is all felt weird, but sometimes in the back of your mind, you're like, well, these these are this is Barcelona. These are trained professionals there. These are guys at the height of their game. I'm sure they know what they're doing. Like, but like sometimes you just got to trust your gut. This is this feels a little too strange to me. Well, sure enough, it is. And they can't register any of these players. Like, what are they doing? Um, well, I'm I was just looking at I want to see is there a latest report here, Andrew? Um, so Tom Sanderson and Forbes is saying Barcelona's t- Stars Frankie de Jong and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen are set to leave the club as free agents after their contracts are null due to alleged criminal activity. So, Bombshell News reported on Monday start revealed how the club's current board, led by uh, Juan Laporta, have discovered that contracts signed by four players, de Jong, Ter Stegen, Clement Longley, and Gerard Piquet, during the rule of Laporta's predecessor, Josep Bartomeu, have been found to show evidence of alleged criminality. The club wants the arrangements agreed upon to be annulled and the players to resort back to their old deals with the threat of potential legal action for all concerned if they don't toe the line. This is a very uh, round-the-way, innovative, whatever you want to call it, backhanded way of trying to get these guys off the payroll. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the way I read it. What other way is there to read it? This is truly remarkable stuff. We heard last week that the the palancas, the levers that Barcelona had activated to generate more money to get out of the bind they're in and to register the players they needed to, that was rejected by La Liga. So this seems as if the next lever is to pretend that the contracts, not to pretend, I got to be careful what I say here, to allege that the contracts that uh, some of their players were on that they need to get rid of to create the, the cap space was in fact, they were illegal contracts and so can be annulled immediately. This is, this is crazy stuff. Yeah. And it, it just, it feels wrong on many levels. Um, you know, I, I think about Frankie de Jong, a guy who, who I, I trust him when he says this is, he's where he wants to be. He wants to be playing for this club and, you know, just seeing like, the financial gymnastics that Barcelona are going through to avoid paying this guy money that they owe to him. Um, 
so that they can continue acting irresponsibly. Like that just all of that feels wrong to me. And like, I don't know how it's going to play out. Um, I mean, it's Frankie disgraceful, Dion. but we, we need to activate the Simon Cooper. Um, yeah. We need to get someone on here to, to talk us through this because this is a, I, I've never seen a club of, of this stature go into this kind of a, a mess. Just, you know, you, you've seen, I, I mentioned crisis clubs before. We've seen other clubs, you know, fall apart. And, and, and I say fall apart, but, you know, really struggle. But a, a club of this size, I mean, no disrespect to Leeds United, but this the, there's nothing comparable to this kind of activity. It's truly bizarre it's unbelievable um, i mean we're talking for anything close to it we're talking about the the max fishing match fixing allegations in italy of about 15 years ago where top clubs were relegated that's and that that was an extraordinary circumstance yeah i mean this, that's that for however bad this is that was worse i would say definitively um yes but in its own right, this is this is very weird, uh, a very weird time for Barcelona, because again, like I do think they're good, um, and I think that like I think you know what I've said after they got Lewandowski, I think they're good to a point where they can contend in Europe. Um, but there's there is this weird cloud hanging over them with the way this has all come about. Uh, I should say I believe they can contend, assuming that these players that they've brought in do wind up being able to play for them. Um, if that doesn't happen, obviously, then I reserve the right to change my my thoughts. <laughs> um, let's see, JJ. A couple MLS things that I wanted to roll through here as they've hit the All Star break. Uh, you see Bale's goal. Uh, I certainly did, Andrew. Oh. Uh, off the bench again, runs down the wing. I mean, for 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 those people who say it's going to be easy in MLS for for Gareth Bale, that goal will be Exhibit A in their courtroom defense of that of that opinion. Uh, he just ran ran through them, just ran through them. It was um, Gareth Bale in open space, kind of frightening. Yeah. I mean, it might be easy for him because he just happens to be really, really good. I don't know if he does, like but indictment but, on the league. Oh, oh, yeah. But he's really, really good. But he's not, he's not exactly, and we saw from his time at Tottenham, he's not exactly still 100% the kind of um, explosive pace that he used to have. And when you see him just blitzing a defense like that, you think, what are these guys up to? Um, but then meanwhile, in the same game, you saw uh, Chiellini with with what has to be the handball of the season. If if there is a category for such things. There isn't, but you've, you're you going to create it. I mean, yeah. he just, he bats it down like volleyball. He just, you know, it's, uh, he knows the bounce is going to beat him. The ball over the top is going to beat him. And there's a guy in behind and he's like, I'm too old for this. And he just catches the ball, apologizes in a very sincere fashion, mm-hmm. and on we go. He should have got red carded. Yeah. So he's your Danny Glover award winner from the game. I'm too old for this S. Yeah, definitely. Pass it down. Um, but I mean, meanwhile, we should say as we hit the All Star break that LAFC are they were good before. Now you know Bale has come in, made an impact. The players who were already there, like it's it's all working, and they are they are spectacular. Um, it has felt since their since the beginning of their existence that like right out of the gate they weren't far off from from capturing trophies i don't know you can't help but wonder it it feels it's starting to feel like this is their year we'll see a lot can happen in the playoffs playoffs are crazy um 
but I saw this, who was this from? Uh, Charles Bohm at uh, MLSsoccer.com. He writes, currently racking up points at a clip of 2.22 points per game. LAFC are on a similar track to their Shield-winning 2019 squad and on pace to eclipse the all-time regular season points record, 73, set by last year's top finishers, New England Revolution. This is with a first-year manager, too, in Steve uh, Cherundolo. This is this is going exactly according to plan for them so far. So props to LAFC at, at the break. Can I also um, give... Can I yeah. also give credit to uh, MLS for bringing the Liga Mekis All-Stars to Minnesota for the game. Give yourself the best chance of winning. It's going to be 10 degrees in Minnesota. Brilliant, brilliant idea. Is it supposed to be that cold? <laughs> no. Oh, I was thinking Celsius. I didn't think you meant Fahrenheit. No I way was, it would be. I was doing a, a parody on a... It, 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 look, it didn't land. It didn't work. You didn't pick up on it. This was the place we took. Uh, who was it to play last time? Honduras or whoever. So, yeah, didn't work. Listen, I, 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 I'm going to try and workshop that joke a little bit better. This will all be edited out. Don't worry. I want to salvage your reputation as a funny man. It's fine. Um, couple, couple other MLS things. Well, not just MLS actually. Um, some MLS, some just US in general. Uh. What would you say over the past year, JJ, biggest story for the U.S. men's national team would probably be what? I, I would say who's going to be the striker for this team. It was kind of like the top story after every game. You had to check uh, well, in on that. People like you, you can't make up your mind where it's the striker or the center back or the goalkeeper. Well, it um, wasn't center back. I'm saying over the past year, it wasn't center back. And then Miles striker, Robinson got center, hurt. But it's been striker. Forward. It's been center yeah. forward for the whole year. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with that in mind, just want to mention Jordan Pifak got off to a good start in the Bundesliga with Union Berlin, scored a really nice goal over the weekend. And I mean, it's a drum that I've been banging for a while. People did not want to take his golden boot in the Swiss League seriously, which I always felt was a little bit foolish. Um, it's going to be hard to ignore when he's doing it in the top five league. All right, just putting that out there. And while we're talking about this position, back to MLS, Brandon Vasquez. So we hit the all-star break in MLS. I don't know if any player, I would say in the first half of the season, but it's more than the first half. I don't know if any player has done more for their reputation so far this season than what Vasquez has for himself at Cincinnati. He's second in goals with 14, and some have been just like memorable stunners. Uh, Tom Bogert tweeted his non-penalty XG is tops in the league at 12.16. Next closest, by the way, is Hani Mukhtar, who's a full XG point behind him at 11.16. And then I saw this story, JJ, that I thought was funny. Uh, Felipe Cardenas brought, um, he brought up a recent report uh, in Mexico about Vasquez that was hilarious. He tweeted, interesting report here regarding Brandon Vasquez. Chivas apparently approached FC Cincinnati about Vasquez based on transfer marks, $550,000 valuation of the player. FC Cincinnati asked for $5 million, which caught Chivas completely by surprise. <laughs> that conversation must have been hilarious. They thought they were going to get a guy. Like, just imagine walking into the, to a supermarket and just thinking that, like, you're going to buy an orange for, like, 50, you know, for a, a buck. And you get to the counter, and they're just like, okay, that'll be $500. Like, wait, it's what? happened okay, to me. Never mind. It's happened to me. I uh, When I was uh, a younger man, I went to buy a pair of diesel jeans, which were always just, like, super expensive they were never less than 150 euros or i was in around 200 dollars. i picked up a pair from what i thought was a discounted rack the sign said on sale 80 bucks i'm like this is unbelievable and 80 bucks was even a lot so so i walk up to the counter and uh, there's a line and there's a line behind me and so she goes okay that'll be uh 220 and i'm like oh I, i i thought this was discounted and she goes no 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 the discount sign is for those 
above the sign, not below the sign. Oh, come on. And I'm like, and it's just because of my pride. I swallowed it and I said, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's no problem. I was, you know, just checking. Oh, big man, you are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. That happened to me once, but I, I wound up the winner. Uh, I went to an Adidas store and uh, there was a, a huge sale on Adidas hooded sweatshirts. And so I, I got one. And when I got to the counter, they did the same thing. They said, oh, no, this isn't what it says. It said it was like the, the sale was for like 30 bucks. The sweatshirts were actually like 70. It was some something huge like that. And um, I said, oh, well, it says it. So they went and looked and the sign was still there. They said it, the sign had been left there by mistake. So they took the sign down right away. But they still they honored the uh, the sign. They allowed me to have it for the, the sale price. Oh, man. Yeah. I want to write a Woody Guthrie song about the time Andrew stood his ground in the Adidas store. That was a big moment. I I, I kept I keep a little trophy in my trophy cabinet for that moment when I got an Adidas hooded sweatshirt at a sale price that I shouldn't have gotten it for. Uh, one other MLS thing I wanted to mention. Oh, come on. We got to get to things I saw on the Internet. Well, it's not going to come at the expense of me mentioning things that I've deemed to be important in our domestic league. Um uh, uh, not everybody maybe has been noticing what's been going on with the Chicago fire, but it is starting They're to happen better. It's starting to happen there. And Shakiri in general, or Shakiri, it should be mentioned. He's now up to 10 assists on the season. He was amazing over the weekend against Charlotte and um, Chicago. I just wanted to get them in there that they're starting to look formidable. Um, there's, there were a lot of new pieces that were brought in. And it was, you know, maybe it was always going to take a little bit to come together. And it looks like it's starting to. So just just one of those clubs, you know, that they're never good. So like they they kind of like live in the back of your mind. But I'm saying to maybe now start pushing them to the forefront of your mind a little bit more than they've been in this era, because um, it's starting to get fun there. Nice. So that's what I got. Now, what did you see on the Internet? OK, <laughs> wow. We don't even have the jingle. Oh no, I'm not in the studio. What do you uh, what oh, do you think? Point. You want me to sing it? No, please don't. Make robot noises now. Go. Here's what I saw on the internet. It's not bad. It's okay, it'll do. Uh first, two goals we're gonna go with, uh, both from the ESPN FC Twitter account. Ishmael Sar scores the goal of the season in the championship, probably the goal of the season in the world against West Brom at the weekend. Beautiful first touch on that right inside his own half. And sees the keeper off his line and just pings one. Unbelievable goal. And um, real quick, though, in in sort of a weird twist to that. So he scores a goal from his own half. Didn't he then also miss a penalty? Oh, I'd I'd have to look at that. Ooh, (laughs) did he? Oh, wow. You keep going. I'll double check. But I I thought he also missed a penalty in the same game, which is hilarious to me. And Lionel Messi, he's either scored the most Thursday night over 47 aside bicycle kick against Claremont that you'll ever see. Or it is an actual fact, just an unbelievable, clever bit of awareness that he doesn't go for the full bicycle with power and that he does what is now going to be known as the bicycle chip over the goalkeeper. I don't know. Is it an old man bicycle kick or a really, really clever, innovative new way of scoring? Not sure, Andrew. no, but here's the thing. I am sure because it's messy. Nothing happens by accident for right. that guy. Okay. All and by right. the way, Sar, yeah, he missed a penalty in the 73rd minute. So he scored from his own half, missed from the spot. This is some contrast. Uh, we go to the YouTubes. Uh, we rarely see professional players and supporters interact in the public these days. It, it's rare when it happens, it goes viral because it's so rare. Players are costed away 
from the masses. But a video is circulating of Inta uh, Italian international uh, Domenico Berardi mm, <laughs> absolutely yeah. losing his ish, trying to confront abusive fans in a parking lot after his club, uh, Sassuolo, were dumped out of the Coppa Italia by Serie B side uh, Modena. There is no hold me back, bro, here. Berardi seriously wants to get after them. I mean, I can't tell all the abusive things that they're saying, but one of the things I think that was shouted at him was about his miss against Macedonia in that ill-fated ill -fated World Cup playoff. Um, but he's like chasing them around, trying to get at them, and people are trying to hold him back. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was tough. It's, it's, not, it's not good to see. I mean... But uh, yeah, whatever was said really incensed him. And uh, finally, uh, this is from the account TV Football 1968 to 92 on Twitter. And I found this one kind of interesting. Uh, it's October 1980. The Football League chairman of all the clubs have sat down with the FA to discuss some changes they wanted to make to English football. And the main points, the three main points that came out of uh, the meeting with were interesting. So this is 1980. So one was to change the point system to three points for a win to encourage more attacking football. Love it. So they were, they, they instituted this the following year, Andrew. However, most leagues and a lot of most international competitions didn't do this till 1994, 1995. And 1995 FIFA made it standard. So three points for a win. Um, English football at that time was obsessed with uh, making the game more exciting. And they felt teams... The difference between two points for a win, one point for a draw, it just wasn't enough. And that football teams were playing for a draw and it was getting boring. Um, and it's just a reminder that football, it's particularly in the 80s and 90s with the back pass rule, etc. For as much as it was a beloved game around the world, it was. So many games were really bad. JJ, uh, for 100 years, they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> I mean, remember, yeah. Jay, we, we talked about it during the Euros. We were going back through old Euros from the past. What was it in the 60s when, um, who was it? Russia was awarded a spot in the final by virtue of a coin flip. Yeah. Like, there was, the no, was one knew, no one knew what they were doing. Yeah. There was some, there was some things that in hindsight don't look so wise. At two, and this is interesting considering the current climate, all transfer fees must be paid with 50% upfront in cash and the rest spread out over, over no more than 12 months. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, there'd be some clubs that would have a hard time with that rule. Yeah, that rule I don't think would fly in uh, 2022. Uh, and I don't think it was ever instituted. Pretty sure it wasn't. And then three, finally, recognizing that football is at, and this is a quote from Graham Kelly of the FA, saturation point <laughs> to ensure the season is September to May to allow people to build up an appetite for the game with the longer off season. That one definitely did not happen. That one was ignored. Wow. Yeah. That one more than any. <laughs> they thought that then that the game had reached saturation point. Yeah. Then they were thinking that there was too much football. I remember Brian Clough saying there's too much football on television. And this was a, this was when there was hardly any football on television. <laughs> So, um, oh, like, the, it's, it's it was amazing to me that this this common complaint of of um, TMF was was still there in the in the uh, in 1980 October 1980, and that are the things I saw on the interwebs. Oh, I love that. I love the things you saw on the internet. One note for me before we get out that has nothing to do with soccer. Every once in a while, even though Dunkirk shook me 
I don't like to give recommendations after that because your response to that recommendation, you, I mean, the listener out there, uh, was just not okay with me because that movie was a masterpiece and not all of you felt the the same way. And (laughs) to this day, it bothers me, but I'm going to give you one. This will be old news for a huge portion of our audience, but for you, JJ, because I never heard you mention this, somebody, many, well, not somebody, many people had recommended Yellowstone to me. Um, so I finally took the plunge, watched the, uh, the pilot episode, the first episode the other night. The, the first episode of this show, it's, I mean, look, I'm going to go on and watch the show now because I'm so hooked. Um, I don't know if it'll be the best show I've ever seen, but in terms of first episodes of a show, it, it's up there with the best first episode of a show that I've ever seen. It was a movie. It was like an, an hour and 35 minute movie to get you hooked into this show. It was incredible. So I'm in and uh, that's how I'm going to be spending my next uh however many months it takes me to catch up i guess there's been four seasons so far and i do i promise by the time we get to the next one uh i'm gonna be i'm gonna be fully in on uh arsenal all or nothing oh yeah you need to i i, yeah. I well you don't need to actually i, I do I'm, i do I i'm do into episode to. three so uh so there we go oh uh, i've started the bear i've so, heard um, great things about that yeah i'm enjoying it uh shouting intensity uh stress and sandwiches you can't ask oh for anything more than that and um oh i should mention i'm going to see rage against the machine tonight whoa whoa is right so shouting guitars and complicated conversations about the effects on on uh on uh mexico and surrounding states of nafta that's that's the combination you get with the uh, rage against the machine what a night you're in for well have yes. fun my friend hey i'll keep you no longer to you i say check you later fun boy i'll see you take care You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 